thank y'all so much for listening to our recorders. Um, we have been working since August or sometime in there, and we've been using a curriculum called Recorder Karate. So you know, karate, you work to earn belts, and it gets a little bit more difficult each time. So we have been working through nine different colors of belts, and every time we added some notes, we added some rhythms, and I am really happy to say that everybody today earned black belt. So they have little um, strings on their recorders somewhere and that displays what belts they have. So everybody has all nine colors. And we just want to give a certificate today to um, just tell everybody how great you did and we hope to see you next year. Robert Pattisall. We have Mikey Pattisall, Wyatt Pattisall, Annabeth Lawrence, Micah Hardin, and Chloe Hardin. Amen. Thank you, Bailey and the Children's Recorders. That was great. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 21 this evening. As many of you know, because of the vision, hopefully, or if not, but it is Palm Sunday this Sunday. And so we are going to look at the uh, triumphal entry in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 this evening. Uh, for those that don't know, I am Will Faison. I'm the youth pastor here, and I've got the privilege to preach God's Word with you this evening. Jonathan, uh, our uh, possible music minister, was supposed to be driving back with Cliff this evening. He ended up getting a rental car, so um, I got to preach to you. Uh, so I'm excited for the opportunity to do that. So Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the, to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed them, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth to Galilee, of Galilee. There are certain events that happen in our lives that can change things drastically. Events that begin something in our life that begins to slowly move us into a direction that we may not have thought of. When I was in college, 
I was involved with Watkinsville First Baptist Church and looking at going into youth ministry, I had sat down with the youth pastor there and had asked about uh, youth ministry at Watkinsville and I had mentioned to him that I had served at First Baptist Dublin as an intern and I was trying to decide if I wanted to go to seminary, if that's where God was calling me. And so he found a sixth grade Sunday school class for me to teach of sixth grade boys. And he said, well, this will tell you immediately if you want to go into ministry, teach sixth grade boys. If you can make it, then you're cut out for ministry. And so some days I felt like I was called to ministry. Other days I felt like I wasn't. But I taught this Sunday school class for about a year in college. And then uh, the summer happened. And so I came back. I actually interned here at First Baptist and then went back up to UGA to complete my studies up there. And so I moved back up in the fall. And uh, the first Sunday that we were back, I went to Watkinsville First Baptist to church. And so all my sixth grade Sunday school boys were now in seventh grade. And so we got done with Sunday school and I went out into the little lawn area and we were all kind of saying, hey, and I was talking to my college friends. And so all my little sixth graders come running up and diving on me and punching me and showing affection and, and talking to me. And one of my roommates comes up and he says, hey, have you met uh, so-and-so's new roommate? And we had some mutual friends there, and one of our friends named Allie had gotten a new roommate, and it was a girl that had transferred from Georgia College to go into nursing school at University of Georgia or at the Medical College of Georgia there. And, and I said, no, I haven't. You know, who is she? And he, and he said, well, she's right over there. And I said, which one? And she's, he's like, she's the one with the sunglasses. I said, oh, the one in the flower dress. And he said, yeah. And I said, what's her name? He said, Babs. I said, no, really, what's her name? And he said, no, it's Babs. And I remember seeing Babs from across the lawn as these little sixth graders climb all over me and thinking, man, she is beautiful. And so I, I, you know, I thought about it. I was like, I'd really like to meet her one day. That'd be a, a great opportunity for me. And I'm sure she would feel the same way once she saw me. And so anyways, that evening, my, uh, I lived with five other guys. And so all six of us decided, hey, we're all in Athens. School hadn't started. Why don't we have everybody over? We'll play some games, just hang out. And so we texted as many people as we could. And we had 20 or 30 people show up at our apartment uh, Sunday evening. And uh, lo and behold, Allie comes in by the grace of God. And following Allie is her new roommate, Babs. And so I see Babs, and I kind of make my way through the 20 or 30 people, and slowly throughout the night, I kind of inch my way closer to Babs, and she's by Allie, and so I talk to Allie and make sure that I point out that I'm friends with Allie, and then kind of start talking to Babs. And then for the next two hours, it seems like it's just me and Babs in the room. And I'm talking with her for two hours, and she's falling deeply in love with me, and I'm <laughs> beginning to feel the affection towards her as well. And, and, and we, we flirt, and, and the night ends, and, and she leaves, and I'm like, man, she could be the one. If she only knew, she could be the one. <laughs> and following that, in the next several months, I pursued Babs, and she ran, and I pursued her some more, and she ran some more, and God providentially softened her heart to me. And we ended up beginning to date and talk about marriage and we ended up getting engaged and getting married and moved to seminary and now have a, a son. And it's amazing how God works in these different events in our lives to drastically change the direction of our lives. And what we see tonight is that Jesus enters Jerusalem into this triumphal entry into Palm Sunday. And it's an event that is going to change the course of history. His entry into Jerusalem is the beginning of Passion Week. He is making his way to the cross and he is doing it deliberately and specifically knowing that he is fulfilling God's promises, that he is fulfilling what he is here to do. 
And so he enters this city and he enters triumphantly and these people greet him with palm branches and putting their cloaks on the ground. But as we see and as we know in the next few days things change and Jesus begins to do all these different events throughout the week. And he goes to the cross and he's resurrected thankfully. But it's so easy for us to look over Palm Sunday or at least for me to look over Palm Sunday and not to think about the significance of that event. That Jesus chooses to ride a donkey, that nowhere in the New Testament do we see him riding on an animal. And yet he chooses to ride on this donkey because he knows that he is going to fulfill the prophecy found in Zechariah 9 verse 9. He is moving towards God's purposes and God's plan. And so tonight I want us to look at the beginning of the end of Jesus' ministry. The last eight days of his life on earth as he approaches the cross as we would look in Good Friday. And then Sunday next week as we celebrate his resurrection. And so that's what we're going to look at this evening. Let's open up in prayer. Father, we are so thankful once again for the opportunity to come and worship you this evening. God, you have drastically worked in our lives in so many different ways, using people and events and circumstances to guide us towards you. And God, as we look at this text, may it remind us that Jesus is moving towards the cross. That there is celebration on Palm Sunday, but come Friday there is much weeping because of his death. And it's because of our sin that he goes to the cross. And so God, may we look to this passage, may we see the significance of this event, the significance of his last days on earth. May we see how that guides and directs us in our life as well. As we look at this passage this evening, what we'll see is that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He is uh, entering triumphantly into Jerusalem. And there is a question that happens in verse 10 and 11. Listen to this. It says, When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so this account of the triumphal entry gives us several key insights, several key attributes about Jesus of Nazareth. Now, these are, no, these are not exhaustive. There's many things that you can draw from this passage, but five of these is what I want to focus on this evening from this passage. And the first of these is that Jesus is divine. Verses 1 through 3 once again says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And so we see in these three verses that Jesus is divine. He is Lord. Jesus ordains a donkey and her colt to be at a certain place at a certain time for a specific purpose. A purpose that he is going to use to fulfill a, pro a prophecy. And he says, he sends these two disciples in, he says, go into the village and you will find a donkey and her colt. Now some could argue, well maybe Jesus went to the village, he saw the, the owner of a donkey and a colt, he says, hey, I'm going to send my two disciples, if they come, I'm going to tell them to answer you this way. No, most likely, Jesus in his divine authority and his divine knowledge knows that there is a colt and a donkey there. And in his divinity, in his lordship, he sends his disciples and he tells them, go, take them both. And when that happens, if they say something to you, say, the Lord needs them. Now, he doesn't say, tell them that your master needs them, tell them that your teacher needs them, tell them that your rabbi needs them. No, he is claiming divinity. 
He's claiming, I am more than just a teacher. I am more than just a rabbi. I'm, I'm more than just a prophet from Nazareth. I am Lord. I am divine. When Babs and I were dating, she had some cousins, and they had a birthday party. And they had a birthday party where they went to a farm, and they had these horses. And her little cousins went, and we went to celebrate with them. And her cousins, would, they, they, her and her, their friends would get on these horses, and they would ride around in a circle. And they were in a fence, and you, you walked around in a circle with them. And I had never ridden horses, and Babs has grown up around them and ridden them before. So I was kind of excited, hoping I was going to get to ride one. And they said, no, only the little kids. And they said, but we need the adults. And what you're going to do is you're going to help guide these horses. And I'm like, this is not happening. And these aren't like, you know, little Carnival for Christ, like miniature horses. These are full-grown horses. And so they say, all you've got to do is walk up to the horse... Grab it by the reins right here next to it, and you just walk alongside of it. And what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, make it halfway around, and then we'll all stop. And when we stop, you just kind of pull on those reins, and that horse will know to stop. But don't get too close, or you'll get kicked by the horse in front of you. And so I'm shaking. I'm at a little kid's birthday party, scared to death. And all the kids are screaming, and, you know, the horses are jumpy. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And Babs is like, it's fine. They're just horses. You know, don't act like you're scared. And I'm shaking. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I, you know, I said, all right, don't be scared. I'm a, I'm a big guy. I can handle this. And so I grabbed this horse, and I look at him in the eye, and I'm like, you know, you be nice to me, and I'll be nice to you. And, and we start walking, and they, you know, blow the whistle or whatever for us to stop. And I kind of give a little tug on this horse, and he kind of turns his head, and he just keeps walking. <laughs> and then he stops about three or four steps later. And I'm like, okay, all right. So the next time we keep going, and they blow the whistle and, and stop. And so I, I pull him a little bit harder, and he kind of <clears throat> pulls back, and takes a few more steps. And what I found out was that I was there just for looks, just for amusement. That horse was going to do whatever he wanted to do. And he knew when to stop, and he knew when he wanted to go, and so he went. And I did not have authority over this animal. Well, Jesus here in this passage comes to a donkey and her colt, a colt that Luke describes as never being ridden, never being sat upon in his gospel account of the triumphal entry. And yet this animal that has never been ridden in the midst of an excited and boisterous crowd, with all the noise and all the praise and all the excitement, calmly walks through this crowd as Jesus rides upon it. And so you can only imagine that, that Jesus is divine. This, this animal understands that the one on, that is riding on him is divine. That he controls all of nature. That he is Lord. That it is his divine ability that is allowing this to happen. So Jesus is showing here, my divinity cannot be questioned anymore. I am Lord. I am presenting to you today as I approach the cross that I am Lord of all. It reminds me of the familiar quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Many of you all have probably heard this before. But Lewis writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. Speaking of Christ. And this is the statement, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis writes, that is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was either that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Lewis acknowledges, and we are to acknowledge through this passage, that Jesus is Lord, that he is divine, that he is the creator of all nature, he controls nature, he is Lord of our life. So first, he is divine. Secondly, he is the fulfillment of prophecy. Look at verse 4 to 5. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So next we see this picture of Jesus fulfilling a prophecy that was given 500 years before this event. This, this prophecy is recorded in Zechariah 9.9, and the entirety of that prophecy says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Daughter of Zion was a term that referred to the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is often referred to as Zion because the Mount Zion is the highest and most prominent hill there. And so he says, O daughter of Zion, speaking to the people of Jerusalem. And so Zechariah's prophecy was given to God's people, and it was given to them when they came back from exile. And so this remnant of the Israelites has returned to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the temple. They're reestablishing the city. And after repeated and, and over and over failed kings, there was this glimpse of hope. Zechariah writes about this king that was coming to bring righteousness and salvation. And now some 500 years in the future, Jesus is coming and he is this prophesied king. Jesus arrives and says, I am your king. But this is not the king that the people expected. He didn't come to purge Israel of Roman or foreign domination. Instead, he came to purge the people of their sin. Israel was wanting someone to fix their temporal and political problems. They wanted someone to, to release them from Roman rule. But yet Jesus comes and says, I'm not going to fix the temporal, I'm going to fix the eternal. I'm going to bring you salvation instead. And not only salvation for the Jews, but also for the whole world as well. And so Jesus is the true and final king. He did not come to defeat Rome. Instead, he came to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And so Jesus is divine, and he also is the prophesied king. Thirdly, he is humble and lowly. Look back at verse 5. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Jesus arrives humbly and gently, not as most earthly kings or rulers would arrive, not coming in with a parade of war horses and soldiers, but instead he comes in, in poverty and meekness, surrounded by lowly Galileans. Riding on a donkey. But riding on the donkey does not just make Jesus humble. Paul writes in Philippians, this is what makes him humble. He says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus is the Lord of all. He came to earth for our salvation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tim Keller puts it this way in his book, The King's Cross. He says, in Jesus we find infinite majesty, yet complete humility. Perfect justice, yet boundless grace. Absolute sovereignty, yet utter submission. All sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. So this humble, obedient king bids us to come to him. He says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we have this humble king, but we also have, number four, he is the king of peace. So it says, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Then verse 6 says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on, their clo- put, them, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground or on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so as we read this verse, it may seem strange for us that this prophesied king would ride in on a donkey, but this was not uncommon uncommon for the time. The key here is when the kings would ride on a donkey. So when a king was at war, he would usually ride a war horse. It was a picture of power. And when the king was at peace, he would ride a donkey, picturing peace, showing that there was no war to be fought. And so Israel here was expecting their king to come wielding his power and overthrowing all these earthly kingdoms, all their oppressors. And yet instead, Jesus comes as a king bringing spiritual peace, riding an animal that would symbolize that he is a king of peace. Isaiah 9, 6 reminds us of of the name that he is given. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And so Jesus rides on this donkey as a a symbol showing that we will now have peace with God. Luke's account of the triumphal entry records the crowd shouting this. He says, peace in heaven and glory in the highest is their response. And so Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is reminiscent of Solomon's entrance in Jerusalem when he was declared king. In 1 Kings 1, 32, King David says, Call me, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And so this picture here is Jesus coming in, and so that the, the Israelites would have understand this picture. They would have been reminded of how Solomon rode in on a donkey as well. Also, when Jehu is pronounced king in 2 Kings 9, 12 to 13, it says, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste, every man of them 
man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And so this picture of laying the cloaks down and laying the palm branches is a familiar scene for the people of Israel. And so it's a picture of Jesus entering Jerusalem and being proclaimed as king. But it's not a king that they were expecting. Instead, he is, he is a king of peace, reconciling individuals to God. And then fifthly, he is the Messiah and Savior. Look at verse 9. It says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so we've seen that Jesus is divine. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is humble and lowly. He is the King of peace. And lastly, he is our Messiah and Savior. You see, this is Passover week. It's a time when the population of Jerusalem most likely would have risen by five or six uh, times its normal size. And so people were coming all from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of Remembrance, to celebrate the Passover. And so it was a feast of, a, of the reminder of a time when God had delivered them or delivered their ancestors from Egypt, from the slavery, and brought salvation through the blood of a lamb. And now Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes and inaugurates a new exodus. Not an exodus from Egypt or from political slavery, but instead he takes away the sin of the world. He's the Savior King. The, cry, the crowds cry out, Hosanna in the highest. A word that literally means save now. Hosanna. The crowd is saying, save, I pray. Save us, Lord. Save us. It's a cry from Psalm 118, verse 25 to 26. The psalmist says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus had come to redeem his people, to sacrifice his life, to give redemption and salvation. He is the Messiah and Savior. And so with these things in mind, how then do we respond to this king? One way we, that we respond is we lay down our lives before him. We don't just lay down cloaks or palm branches. Instead, we are called to lay down our lives at the foot of the cross, submitting to his plans and his purposes and responding in, in faith. And so we seek him for salvation. Secondly, we should also give him praise. Our entire life is to give him praise and adoration. Praising him for the gift that he has given us, for the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. Thirdly, we live humbly. We must seek to make less of ourselves and more of him. Jesus comes humbly, lowly. He is the example for us that we are reminded to come in humility as well, to, to give our lives. And to live like him, counting ourselves as nothing and knowing that all good things come from him alone. Fourthly, we bear fruit in our lives. Israel, Israel was known for having the, the outward signs of religion but having no spiritual fruit. Not bearing in their lives what they professed with their lips. And so our practice must match our profession. If we're crying out to God, Hosanna, save us, you are Messiah, and yet our lives don't match up, there's something wrong. We must not praise Him with just our lips, but we praise Him by surrendering our lives to Him daily. And so we have this picture of the triumphal entry, Jesus entering in, being this humble, prophesied King, coming and bringing peace, being our Messiah and Savior. But this is not the only time that He will ride on an animal. 
Revelation 19, 11-16 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The triumphal entry records us, or records Jesus coming humbly on a colt. But soon he's going to return reigning on a war horse. He comes into Jerusalem being, or expecting to be crucified, heading to the cross. But he will come again being crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we may not, may we cry out as the crowd did, not just that day, but every day of our life. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Please join me in prayer. Father, we're reminded this evening of the sacrifice of your son. God, how he is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, that he comes humble and lowly, bringing peace and salvation for our lives. God, that he is the prophesied king from old. And God, may we live in light of that truth as we leave tonight. May we not just praise you on Sundays. But God, may our entire lives, may our entire being be wrapped up in following you. God, may we lay down our lives at the foot of the cross, thankful for the gift of salvation that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. At this time, Derek comes to lead us in a uh, hymn of commitment. If you have a decision you'd like to make or would like a, a prayer request or anything else, you can come down at this time. Our hymn of decision is 550 Footsteps of Jesus. Stand.